Let's pray together. My God, you are holy and exalted above everything. You are the one who created all things. All things exist by your power. You are the all-wise God, almighty, merciful and gracious. And we thank you that you have made your dwelling among us. We thank you that you have made us your temple in Jesus Christ and by the Spirit, that you are here with us tonight. And we thank you for your word, the sword of the Spirit. And so with these things, we can only expect you to be at work in our hearts, in our lives, as we are here gathered as we hear your word to us. We surrender to you, to whatever you have to say to us. Give us humble hearts. Help me as I bring your word to your people. And please would you glorify and exalt Christ tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt like people are asking too much of you? Maybe it is your boss, and they, they put an enormous load of work on your shoulders. They ask things that you are um, not able of doing that are outside the scope of your skills and, and beyond your job description. Maybe a parent or a spouse who, who places an enormous weight of expectations on your shoulders. And you're not sure you can actually manage with all that. Have you ever felt like Jesus is asking too much of you? You've already got a, a busy life and many responsibilities. And on top of that, Jesus gives you the mission to make disciples. What a big mission. You've barely got time and energy to study the Bible by yourself, let alone share the gospel with others around you. And you're not even sure really how to do it, where to start, if you can even do it. Is Jesus asking too much of you? And maybe you're not a Christian here tonight and, and uh, you have a vision of Jesus who is just a very demanding person. There's this list of things and uh, rules and prohibitions you'll need to follow if you want to please him or make your way to heaven. Well, our text tonight shows us that Jesus doesn't ask too much, but he rather gives, gives in abundance. And even what he asks from us is taken from his rich supplies to us. And he does so by reminding us of who Jesus is, of what his mission is about, and our place in it. Tonight we will see that King Jesus includes us in his mission, yet it is his mission. Ultimately, he's the one who accomplishes it, a glorious mission that we must join. So our first point will be King Jesus includes us in his mission, join in verses 1 to 9. If you have your Bibles, it would be extremely helpful if you could follow with me, uh, page 1039 on the church Bibles. So far in Luke's gospel, Jesus has 
done all the action. He has preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. He has healed the sick, calmed the storm, restored the demon possessed, and even raised the dead. And our chapter marks a turning point in the gospel of Luke. So far, Luke has been building up clues towards uh, Jesus' identity and his mission that will be clearly revealed in this chapter. And with it, the question of, of what it means to follow him, to be a disciple of Jesus. And here at the beginning of this chapter, for the first time, uh, we see Jesus calling the 12 apostles, whom he chose back in chapter 6, to calling them to take part in the action. Verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he set them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He equips them in view of the mission. He sends them to accomplish. He equips them by giving them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. Time and again, we have seen Jesus display authority over demons and sickness, driving them out and curing them. And he now vests the 12 apostles with the same authority, the same power to do the same thing. They will do what he does. And the goal of the mission on which he sends them is to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so in verse 6, we read that um, they went out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God comes first and healing second. The proclamation is the heart of the mission. The pattern of the mission of the 12 closely resembles, follows that of Jesus. If you turn with me quickly to chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, just a page, a few pages um, before, verses 40 to 44, chapter 4, verses 40 to 44. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and they came to where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus heals many and casts out demons, and he clearly expresses in verse 43 that the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God is that for which he was sent. He was sent to proclaim the kingdom. The healing and the casting out of demons are signs that testify that the kingdom has drawn near in the person of Jesus, the king who defeats Satan, sickness, and even death. And so what we have at the beginning of chapter 9 is really the king giving royal authority to the 12 to carry out his mission. 
Jesus, he's, he's the king to whom belongs power and authority over demons and sickness. The apostles go in the name of the king with his power and his authority. Jesus then gives them um, some bizarre instructions, verses 3 and 4. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. This speaks of the urgency of the task. They are to travel light and not to be uh, encumbered with extra luggage. The gospel needs to go out to all the towns of Israel quickly. It also tells us that in this mission, the apostles are to fully depend on God. They take no extra security on them, no travel insurance, no cash or sandwich. They are fully dependent on the hospitality of people in the town which they will visit. They have to trust God to provide through the hospitality of others. They will depend on the welcome of others, yet not all the towns will welcome them. Verse 5, if people do not welcome you, Jesus said to them, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Shaking the dust off uh, the feet are, is a symbolic way of saying, we have nothing to do with you. You have no part with us in the kingdom which we proclaim. It serves as a testimony against them. Such a town will be judged. They have rejected the messengers of the king. It is the king they have rejected. Any rejection of the apostles is in fact a rejection of the king and of the kingdom they represent. And so they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Verse 6. Now is this a a textbook for how we should do go about mission today. I certainly would not recommend you going throughout all the towns of Scotland by foot, without a coat or any food to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Actually, Jesus himself changes these instructions that he gives to his disciples in Luke 22, verses 35 and 36. Uh, I'll leave with you to read this on your own time later if you want to. So no, this is not textbook for how we should go about mission today. This is a specific mission giving to, given to a specific group of people, the 12 apostles. They bear in a unique way the very authority of Jesus. Yet, Luke wants us to see here that it is Jesus' purpose and plan to include the apostles and subsequently the church in the mission that Jesus began, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The mission we are engaged in today is no different, and Jesus' priorities must be our priority, proclaiming the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, the King. It is a mission that still requires urgency, I was earlier this week in uh, Belgium helping uh, a church plant in the Missions Week. Uh, they are in a university town of about 30,000 inhabitants. And over my few days there, I got to meet uh, quite a good number of students, non-Christian students, 
coming from all over Belgium. And I was really struck as I was chatting to them that I was really the first real Christian they had ever met. A town of 30,000 inhabitants, 20,000 students. There is one single evangelical church that was planted there five years ago with about 15 members. We could probably classify this place as, as yet unreached, to be honest. And it's two, even less than two hours away from Edinburgh Airport. They need to hear the good news. There is urgency today. And we don't have to go very far to find towns where there are no Christians, no gospel church, no gospel witness, no gospel awareness, even in Scotland. The apostles are commanded to travel light for the sake of the urgency of the mission. And I remember a few years ago going on a, a very long hike with friends in the Alps, and we were so committed to be fast and light that we even broke our toothbrushes in half uh, to reduce the size and the weight of them. We really didn't want to be weighed down. We could have shared one for all of us, but we decided not to. Um, how committed are you to travel light in this life for the sake of Jesus' mission? Have we become so encumbered with things and stuff of this life that we have lost sight of the king's mission? Maybe it's not stuff, but, but care for a reputation or a status that slows us down in joining in Jesus' mission. Have we become so preoccupied by building a comfortable home or life for ourselves here on earth that gospel proclamation has fallen down our list of priorities? We have as a church a vision to uh, plant new churches to reach 1% of Edinburgh. Are we running the danger of being distracted by our own stuff and, and maintaining programs and so on that we risk ending bogged down regarding the gospel mission? Are there things in our personal life or in the life of our church that we should get rid of for the sake of being focused on Jesus' gospel mission? The wonderful thing is that just as the apostles uh, received from Jesus what they needed for the mission, so Jesus gives us what we need. He does not give us power and authority over demons and sickness that was specific to the apostles, but he is with us by the Holy Spirit that he has given to us, who equips us to be bold witnesses of Jesus. We bear the name of Jesus. We are his accredited messengers heralds of good news. We, don't go, we do not go by ourselves as illegitimate servants left to our own devices in the world. We go in the name of the king. It is an immense privilege to carry his name. And through the gospel that we proclaim, he will deliver people from the hands of Satan and bring them into his kingdom. And just as the apostles experienced rejection, so will we. Yet it is not ultimately us they reject, but the king who sends us. And judgments will remain on them. And if you are not a Christian tonight, 
I wonder what do you make of the good news of Jesus? Are you conscious of the great danger you run by rejecting it and, and its messengers? Do you welcome the gospel and its messengers as good news for you as well? Because it is good news for you as well. More on this later, though. King Jesus includes us in his mission, join in. And as the apostles engage in that mission, it's making a lot of noise. Through them, the fame of Jesus is spreading up to the upper rooms of power to reach another king, King Herod, the Tetrarch. And King Herod really doesn't know what to make of that guy, Jesus. I read from verse 7, if you want to look down with me. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. Because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back for, to life. But Herod said, I behead you, John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Who is this guy who does wonders, but also now has a small army of guys doing the same thing? And people speculated about Jesus' identity. Herod was perplexed. How about you tonight? Who do you think Jesus is? It is a, an important question that will be answered actually in next week's passage in verse 20. I don't want to spoil for Andy who will be preaching next week, but it's important to notice that verses 18 and 20 are very similar to verses 7 to 9. Let me just read verses 7 and 9 again and then verses 18 and 20. So Herod was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this? I hear such things about. And he tried to see him. Now verse 18. Uh, Jesus asking his disciples, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. We have first King Herod, who is perplexed and wonders who Jesus is. And later, the apostle Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, who nails it. And in between these two, we have the story of Jesus miraculously feeding thousands of people. And here Luke is making the point that this miracle unveils the identity of Jesus, such that it moves us from the perplexity of Herod to the understanding of Peter. And what we see is that Jesus is a king who stands in stark contrast to King Herod, a bloodthirsty puppet king who beheaded John the prophet, who prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus is a good king who provides and cares for his people. It tells us of his mission as well, a glorious mission that only he can accomplish. And this is our second point. King Jesus has accomplished the mission. Join in, verses 10 to 17. Here the 12 come back from mission, and they are certainly very excited to tell 
Jesus all about the wonderful things they have done. And they are quite likely exhausted after a, a really a straining mission. So Jesus, as a good master, took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Finally, some time to rest, to relax. But, verse 11, the crowds learned about it and followed him. And what does Jesus do? Does he turn them away to safeguard the, the time off? No, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. He does exactly what he sent his disciples to do in verse 2. As the disciples, the apostles, take a break, Jesus doesn't. The master, full of compassion and love for the crowd, carries on. He welcomes them, preaches to them, heals them. And he has an important lesson to teach his disciples. I read from verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus challenges uh, his disciples as they raise the issue of feeding the people. And they fail. They, they just can't do it. There are 5,000 men there without counting women and children. How could one feed all these people with five bread and two fish? They suggest buying food for them, but there's no chance they've got the money to feed that many people anyways. Now, there it is. Jesus is asking too much of his disciples. They aren't God. Obviously, they can't do it. I wonder if you're here tonight. Feeling like Jesus is asking something of you that you just can't do. We've just seen that he includes us in his gospel proclamation mission. Maybe you feel out of your depths in this mission, like you can't do it. Maybe it's a costly life decision that you know Jesus wants you to take. But it seems impossible to you. Maybe it's a sin that you know you need to leave behind you. And never go back to it. But you just can't do it. Jesus has something to teach you tonight. The disciples couldn't do it, and that was precisely Jesus' point. I continue to read from verse uh, 14. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Jesus does what the apostles can't do. 
Jesus is the king who serves his people and abundantly provides for their needs. But there's more to this story than just multiplying food and satisfying empty stomachs. This miracle serves as a pointer to the identity of Jesus and as a picture of his mission. A long time ago, back in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, God's people, were slaves in Egypt. We've been um, going through the book of Exodus. That's something we've seen if you've been with us in the morning. God, through many miracles and wonders, redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt to lead them to the promised land through the desert. And in the desert, God miraculously provided food for them. That's what we read earlier in the service in Exodus chapter 16. Let me just read a couple of verses from this chapter again. Exodus 15 verses 11 to 15. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Back in Luke chapter 9, we are in a remote place, verse 12, uh, more literally a wilderness place. There is an Im immense crowd that needs feeding, and the crowd is, crowd is miraculously fed that for, by bread that is, as it were, coming down from heaven as Jesus multiplies it after looking up to heaven and giving thanks. The crowd is fully satisfied, and there are even leftovers, 12 baskets, 12, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is making a statement. First about his identity. I am the Lord. Through this miracle, Jesus reveals that he is the very God who brought Israel out of Egypt. Jesus answers Herod's questions. Who then is this? He is the Lord God incarnate. He is the true king of his people. And second, about his mission. King Jesus is the Lord who brings about the greater and perfect exodus. Just as God saved his people from, from slavery in Egypt to bring them into the promised land, Jesus is the one who comes to save his people from slavery to sin, death, and Satan to bring them into the kingdom of God. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. The king has come. He is the one who will deliver you from slavery, from death, from condemnation, bring you to life with him in his glorious kingdom. This is ultimately Jesus' mission. This is what Jesus accomplished by dying on the cross and being raised to life again. He accomplishes what we all long for. It doesn't take a PhD to realize that there's something well, wrong with this world. 
no matter what you believe in tonight, uh, we can all agree that society has so many problems. Inequalities, social injustice, inflation, corruption, drug addiction, alcoholism. We have so many problems individually. Broken relationships, hatred, unquenchable selfishness, never satisfied desires. Things others have done to us. Things we've done to others. And so we look for something more. We look for a way out. Maybe politics. Ah, the next first minister could be the one who will finally fix all our problems. If we get the right person there, all our problems will be solved. Maybe your way out is, is your career and the pursuit of, of money and status. That's what's going to get you out of the mess and misery of life. Maybe unrestrained sensual pleasures. Maybe even religion. Strictly following rituals and laws, you, you think that through that you will escape the misery of the world and of your own heart. Yet if you're brave enough to face it, you know that, that none of this actually does the trick. You are stuck. And like a man in quicksand, the more you fight it, the more it feels you are stuck. We are all slaves. We are slaves to our evil desires. We are slaves to our sins. We are far from God and under his condemnation for our sins. And we long for life, life to the full, a place where evil, suffering, and death are just a distant memory. But we can't get there. We can't even get away from the evil that is within us. And what Jesus tells us in this miracle is that he is the one who will do it. The apostles can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it either. But he can because he is the Lord God. He is the king. He will accomplish this rescue mission through his death on the cross and resurrection. As on the cross, he takes on himself the misery, the guilt of those who trust in him and reconciles them to God, the source of life. He ushers them into the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will one day be fully revealed, in which all those who have trusted in him will live in, in blissful joy forever. Are you still in slavery to your sins, to your desires? There is one way out, Jesus. Turn to him and turn away from your desperate way of life that leads to condemnation. He has done what you will never be able to do out of love for you that you might be saved simply by trusting in him. Give it all up and, and follow him. And if that's even something you'd like to do tonight, may I invite you to come talk to me or even Callum or, or a Christian who brought you tonight. We'd love to talk to you more about that. King Jesus accomplishes the mission. And what's fantastic is that his accomplishment of the mission is the basis for his disciples' inclusion into the mission. Because Jesus is the king who has accomplished this new exodus, 
from slavery to sin into God's kingdom, his disciples can go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is the good news of the kingdom. He has done it. There is forgiveness and rescue from condemnation in his name. There is access to the kingdom of God through him. His completed work at the cross. There is hope for a changed heart, for a transformed life in him. Did Jesus ask too much of his disciples? Yes, to teach them that he alone can do it. He alone is the Savior. Yet because he is the Savior King, they can go and we can go and proclaim good news and salvation in his name. Jesus enables and empowers the disciples for their mission, for making costly decisions for him, for being more like him in the Spirit's power. Do you feel like Jesus is asking too much of you? Stop looking at yourself, but look at Jesus, the King who has done it all. We can join in Jesus' mission because he has done it. We have something to share because Jesus has provided for us. And as we join in the mission, we need to keep him central. Apart from the life and salvation, forgiveness that we receive in Jesus, we have nothing to offer to the world. Nothing. Jesus is the most valuable thing we can offer to those around us. Have you lost sight of King Jesus who brings perfect salvation from death and hell? Have you forgotten what you have received from him? Remember, delight and share. It may be that you are weary tonight. You doubt that you have the strength to keep following Jesus through the deserts of this life, let alone engaged in his mission. Well, don't miss what Jesus shows in himself here. Jesus shows himself to be the king who saves who provides and who cares for his people. And as we are on our journey to the kingdom of God that is to come, he himself feeds us, sustains us on the way. As his spirit brings his word to bear on our hearts, as we read and study his word, as it is preached to us, as we bring it to one another in conversations, Jesus is the king who is making sure that all who follow him in the new exodus from darkness to his kingdom will eventually make it there. He's making sure that this will happen. Turn to your king. Let him revive you, strengthen you, satisfy your soul. He will keep you going on this journey. And Jesus' provision is not just enough to keep you going and surviving he gives in abundance what we need so that we can give our lives in service to the king who has served us first. In mission, in making his name known, making disciples, in the home, in the office, in the lecture hall, at home and abroad. Jesus is not asking too much. He has done it all. He has accomplished the mission. He has defeated sin, Satan, and death. He has opened the door to the kingdom of God to be entered by faith in his name. 
He leads his people through this life to the next. And King Jesus includes us in living and proclaiming with zeal, with urgency, with trust in the power of the Spirit what he has done, that the mission is accomplished, that there is salvation and life in the name of the King who has done it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you because you are the almighty God. All things hold in your hand. You are on your throne, ruling over all kingdoms and nations. And with you, nothing is impossible. We thank you that you sent your son, your one and only son, to save us. The one who has done what we couldn't do. The one who gives us freedom from our sins and from the condemnation that we deserved. The one who leads us and cares for us. And you see, Lords, those who are tonight still slaves to their sins. And we pray that by the Spirit, you would open their eyes to see that they would move from the perplexity of Herod to the understanding of Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who can give them life and freedom and, and forgiveness. We pray for those who are discouraged, keenly feeling their insufficiency and weakness. Help them to look to you, to know that you are their shepherd and king. Sustain them, strengthen them. And we thank you. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you include us in your mission, this glorious mission. And so we pray that you would send us out in the power of your spirit to proclaim boldly your kingdom wherever you have placed us, wherever you will send us and grant us to see your hand with us as we see people saved, as we see lives transformed by your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.